0: Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Share a message with you this morning. I've entitled The Glory of of the gospel, the glory of the gospel. You know, in worship sometimes we can get distracted with things that are not as important, right? There's all, uh, you know, people will debate or will talk about the kinds of the style of music that you sing, Right? Or we can get distracted in this way. It's not that we get distracted by an argument about what style of music we sing, but maybe you have somebody that you really like to hear sing. It's a band that you like or a, you know, a, somebody that just has a great voice and you, you really enjoy listening to them. No matter whatever they sing, you like to hear them sing, right? You might get distracted in this way. I, I'm sure some of you may even have a favorite preacher, That you like to listen to, you know? Through the week or whatever on a podcast, or somebody that you enjoy, somebody that you that you listen to. Um, and and you know, I know that there are people have their have their folks, and sometimes they'll they'll come to Charles Stanley, right, Karen? Karen, you, you know, she'd always tell them about what Charles Stanley was doing, you know. Like those you know, like if you have people that you listen to through the through the week, or people that you like to listen to, sometimes you can get, get distracted by them, right? It's them, it's the person that you're hearing from. And if it was somebody different or somebody that had a different style, you get focused on that rather than focused on on the message that's being said. You know, you get focused on the personality rather than the person. We do that with church, don't we? Don't we get distracted a little bit when it comes to, we conflate worship and honoring God sometimes with how we honor the church. Hear me, I think that the church should be honored, and I think we should serve at church, but church is not what we worship. We don't come to honor a church, right? We, we, we honor Christ. Center Grove next year will be 100 years old. Did you all know that? 1922, there was a schoolhouse on this property, a white schoolhouse, and Amy's home church of Center Point held a revival in that schoolhouse and there were so many people saved from that revival that there was a church started in the schoolhouse. So they met in the schoolhouse for a long time before the, the uh, building was built here. But I really like that, and we want to honor that next year. We should be proud of the fact that our history was birthed. Uh, one of my favorite things about that story is, is that our church was birthed from a revival, not the fact that somebody got mad and went down the road and started another church somewhere, right? It was birthed from revival. That's really awesome. And so we want to do things next year that would honor and celebrate 100 years of ministry because that's a great milestone. But even in that, we're not honoring what Center Grove has done. Even in that, we're honoring what God has done through Center Grove. We honor what God does through those that, that sing or those that preach or those that, that share from God's word or those who, who, who witness in an amazing way. or the, you know, All those things that we think about when we think about kind of church life in that respect, it's not, it's not church that we're honoring. It's God and his glorious gospel. Because no matter how well Karen Thompson sings, Karen Thompson has never saved a person. And no matter how much you really, really, really like my preaching, which I'm sure you do, I've never saved anybody. And Sinner Grove as a church has never saved anybody. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that he was not ashamed of the gospel because it was the power of God that brings about salvation, right? Right? It's not any of those other things. It is the power of the gospel. And so whenever we come to worship, this should be our focus, to think of Christ and him crucified, and that be where our focus goes. And so today as we think about that idea and we think about the glory of the gospel, I want us to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read the first seven verses. Therefore... In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars to show that the surpassing power of God belongs to God and not to us. Let's think on this passage for just a minute. And I want to I kind of hit on the things that Paul hits on. As we read this, I want to kind of just bring out the things that are kind of the focuses that Paul, the things that Paul focuses on in order to get us to see the glory of the gospel. And so I'm going to do that in three ways. I'm going to talk about, uh, Paul's going to talk about his a pure ministry, having a pure ministry that exemplifies or honors the gospel. He's going to talk about the fact that we have a persuasive enemy who veils the gospel, right? And then we want to talk lastly about the powerful gospel that can save in light of even the, this persuasive enemies, um, the way that he has deceived, even in spite of that, God can pierce hearts with the glorious light of the gospel. So let's start with this. Let's start where Paul starts in the first couple of verses as he talks about his pure ministry, having a pure ministry. I'm fixing to go on a kind of a rabbit trail to get us there, okay? But I want you to stay with me because this is going to set up why Paul is saying what he's saying, okay? If you've never studied these books, let me tell you the context of this letter. Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth, we even talked about this Wednesday night, guys, was not a good church. They just weren't a good church. And so when he writes that first letter, he's sharing with them and giving them spiritual advice He's kind of trying to mediate arguments. He's trying to help them understand some things doctrinally. He's trying to encourage them, give them some instruction about God and his word. But but primarily, when you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, what you just see is they had lots of problems. They fought all the time. They fought over who was the best preacher and who they right, they fought over that. They had doctrinal fights among themselves. They argued about those sort of things. They would exclude people from worship. They would exclude people from the Lord's Supper. They would draw lines and kind of had had divisions within the church. The divisions were so strong within the church that they didn't just revolve around things that were happening as far as the the Bible was concerned or as church was concerned, but they, they had, like one member was suing another member because there were arguments outside of church. You had moral issues where they would, were dabbling in immorality, things that would be seen as idolatry, things that were seen as sexual immorality. They were involved in all those sort of things, right? Paul addresses all, a lot of these problems when he writes to them, and that's the reason for him writing the first letter. But then after he writes that first letter, there's a group of people in Corinth that begin to really criticize Paul. Now, we don't know the reason for the criticism. Maybe they just didn't like him. Maybe he wasn't their favorite preacher. Maybe some of the things that he said in his letter got a little too close to home and they didn't like that. But they started making all kinds of accusations about Paul. And so when Paul writes the second letter to the Corinthians, it is somewhat in defense of his ministry. You see lots of hints in it where he's having to establish and remind the Corinthians that if they know him, they know that his ministry was pure, that he wasn't wasn't trying to fiddle with things. He wasn't trying to take advantage of them. People said that he was pure a hypocrite. People said that he didn't practice what he preached. People said that he he liked money. He was just in the ministry for the money. And, and Paul reminded them, like, when I was with you, I worked when I was among you. Like, you, you know this wasn't about, about that. He, he has to remind them over and over again. But it's really interesting when you read this book, when you read the letter, to this, the second letter to the Corinthians, what you find is, is that Paul has a really interesting way of defending himself. His focus is not himself. His focus is the gospel. So when they criticize him and he's going to answer those criticisms, here's what he does. He kind of deflects it. He, He may say some statement in defense of the ministry, but it's never personal. It's always this idea of pointing them back to the gospel. And so when you read these first few verses, you don't want it to get lost Right? Don't, get, don't let it get lost in what he's saying because that's really the context. If you know that, verses 1 and 2 make a lot more sense. And you can see how he's, how he, if you read through this passage, you can see how he goes through that method of deflecting the, the criticism, of kind of turning it toward the gospel every time. And that's what he's doing in verses 1 and 2. Look at the verses. Therefore, having this ministry. What kind of ministry did Paul have? Primarily, I believe Paul's ministry was focused on the gospel and the lives that were changed through the preaching of it. That's ultimately what it was about. Warren Wiersbe, when he speaks about this, says that Paul had a glorious ministry that brought men life, salvation, and righteousness. It was a ministry that was able to transform men's lives and that's what really is the issue for paul in fact if you look at the first word of the verse therefore usually that word is there to show us that it's it's a segue referring back to something that paul would have said before so if you've got your bible go back with me to second corinthians 3 and you see some things about his ministry just in general when he says we have this ministry what's he talking about well if you go back to verse chapter 3 look at verses 6 through 8 let's just read through those In verse 6, he's talking about God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter of the law, but of the Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. There's that ministry of giving life. Verse 7, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face, Because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Paul was not preaching a dead religion. He said, look, we're not under the law, we're under grace. But even when the law was given, there was a purpose behind it, right? Jesus didn't come to, get, to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. the law. The law shows us God's heart. And you go back to the Ten Commandments, you go back to the Jewish law of the Old Testament, is teaching us something about God's heart. Now, I may go home today and eat a sandwich because I'm not Jewish and I'm not under the law. I may eat a ham sandwich because I'm not Jewish. But those directives in the Old Testament are showing us God's heart. Also, Galatians tells us that the law was like a schoolmaster teaching us that none of us can uphold God's standard and we all need a Savior. And so there's a purpose to the law. He even says there was a glory to it, that when Moses received the Ten Commandments and he came down, his face was shining brightly because he had been in the presence of God. There was a a glory to it. But he says this gospel that we preach, the gospel of Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, this is a life-changing in the way that the law never can be. The law simply shows you your need for the Savior. It doesn't save, right? And so when he he begins to share about all that, his, his ministry is rooted in the gospel and sharing it. And he says, look, God has granted this to us. And so because he's done that, we want to have a pure ministry. Look at verse 2. And so there's a few things that we do here. First of all, he said, look, I, we've renounced disgraceful or underhanded ways. We don't have a hidden life. Those people that said that Paul was a hypocrite, Look, guys, he said, look, I don't have some kind of hidden life. You know that tragic story where the pastor stands in the pulpit and preaches and looks righteous and says righteous things, and then the news story comes out, the the community gossip comes out, and you discover that there was a scandal the whole time. Paul says, that's not, it's not a double life happening here. What you, what you see of me when I'm in the pulpit or when I'm ministering, when I was with you and I'm serving you, that's... That's who I am. There's not some other life. We've put those things, those hidden, disgraceful, underhanded ways, we've put those aside. That's not us. I'm authentic in what I'm sharing. But then he goes further. He says, look, we also refuse to practice cunning. We don't tamper with God's word. We don't handle God's word deceitfully. The ESV, I forget what the King James, what does King James have there close to tampers the idea of I don't know what the word is but ESV translates as tamper and that's a great word because what the what that word is is it's like to it was used to talk about like watering down wine it was like to kind of like con a person to fiddle with something to to lower the quality of something and it was used in a secular way to think about watering down wine so Paul's what he's saying is is that when we preach, we're preaching to you straight from here. We're not watering down anything. You see it again down in verse 5 of this passage where he says, For we proclaim not ourselves, we're preaching the word. Pure ministry is not me standing here and telling you what I think It's here. It should always be from here your favorite preacher on your podcast if he's just telling you what he thinks or if he's just sharing with you some good advice that doesn't need to be your favorite preacher this this is where the standard is and so as paul gets to that when we see that in verse 5 he's wanting them to understand when we proclaim not ourselves we're not just proclaiming something that we have that we've come up with and that are giving to you we're not tampering with God's word. We're giving you straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. As God has said it, this is what we're sharing with you. We don't handle the, God's word uh, deceitfully. We believe in the glory of the gospel, so we're certainly not going to adulterate it by giving you something else that's less than. He also says in that verse, look, we do all this, By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, look at my life. Back in um, uh, the first chapter of this book, he tells them in verse 12, essentially, my conscience is clear. All these things that they're saying about me, my conscience is clear. I'm not worried about any of that because I'm answering not to you but to, to God. And my conscience in relation to him is clear. So this idea of here is, what he's getting at here is is that our life, we're doing all this by truth in front of everyone, and if they want to criticize me, that'll have to be on their conscience. If they they look and they see the the, the acts of ministry, if they look and see the ministry as it's laid out before them, and without any evidence they choose to criticize or, or whatever, that will be on their conscience because here is nothing's hidden. It's all right out here in the open. And in spite of everything that's happened in this passage, in spite of everything that they have said about him, Paul wants them to really understand that the ministry, his ministry, his preaching, his teaching, all the things that he said about God's word, hold credibility, not because even of who he is, but because of the glory of the gospel. That's why he keeps going. Like it would be really easy if you think about all the things that they did with Paul for Paul to say, well, the Corinthians aren't going to listen to me anymore. I guess I should just be done ministering to them because somebody's already said all this stuff about me and, and, and they've, they've really turned them against me and they don't like me anymore, so I'm just done sharing with them. But that's not Paul's attitude. Look at some verses in the text. We didn't read all the way through, but look at, look at the end of verse 1. Therefore, we have this ministry by the mercy of God, and so we do not lose heart. And if you, that's the first verse, and if you go down to verse 16, it's not the very last verse of the text, but it's like the closing of this this chapter, and in verse 16, he starts that verse with, so we do not lose heart. It's the same thing. In spite of all this, in spite of all of the criticism and all of the hurdles that he's up against, Paul says, we're not quitting. Why? Because the gospel's too glorious. Everything between those two things is saying that the gospel is too glorious. And even if they criticize me, I'm not really worth anything. I'm just the messenger, and the gospel's what's to be lifted up. This is is a pure ministry that exalts the gospel and glorifies it above everything else. If you think for just a minute, this church has a ministry, right, to this community. If you think about it in another way, as Paul is writing it, like Paul had a ministry, so those that are like ministers of the gospel, as I stand each week before you and as I share or as I teach or every, anything that happens here, it's like I'm, um, I'm like leaving a legacy or I have a reputation here where you think something about me naturally because I'm standing here. It could be positive or negative, but I have a, a role of ministry in this church. And so there's some responsibility there. But it's not just churches and pastors that have ministries. Every believer in Jesus Christ has a ministry. And it's not just contained within these four walls where you work and where you live. In the same way that I stand here week after week, and you could judge what I'm saying on the basis of whether it stands to this or not, you are living a life somewhere in front of your neighbors and your families and your coworkers that is saying, does their life represent this? Or does it represent self? Is it a pure ministry that's being lived out? Or is it something else? Paul needed them to understand that his ministry was focused on the gospel. And if you think about it for a minute, if you think about when churches go off track, If you think about when preachers go off track, if you think about when Christians go off track, the ministry always becomes impure when the focus becomes something other than the gospel. When it's not the gospel, that's when it goes off the rails. When the church decides that they want to be cool and perceived as cool, perceived as being accepted by anybody in society, that's when it goes off the rails because the focus becomes perception and not the gospel, right? When we want to come in and have a party and leave feeling juiced and pumped because the focus is the adrenaline or the emotional high, it's not the gospel, right? When when a pastor decides that it is about the money or it is about telling people what to do or it is about whatever then it becomes, it's not about the gospel anymore, and that's when it starts to go off the rails, right? When a Christian begins to get their eyes on anything that is lesser than, and that's what the focus is, their spiritual life will suffer because that's not a pure ministry that's focused on the glory of the gospel. It's all petty things. And if you look at what Paul said That life will be marked by disingenuous living, petty things, watering down of the gospel. But a pure ministry, a pure life lived for the glory of the gospel will see lives changed and will experience obedience through the Spirit and will remain true to the Word of God. This is a pure ministry. All right, let's move to verses 3 and 4. So Paul starts by talking about this pure ministry that we should have in relation to the gospel. Verses 3 and 4 talk about a persuasive enemy that we have. So if you think for just a minute, if our life and our focus and our ministry should be on the gospel, we have been called as a church to share the gospel, right? In fact, our mission is to make disciples of people, to go and to share and to see them saved and baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe all that he's commanded. This is the mission, this is what a pure ministry looks like, is to share the gospel, for our lives to be all about the gospel. And if this gospel that we are called and commissioned to share is so great and so glorious, why aren't more people saved? This passage gives two reasons, okay? Okay. And we could put a lot of our focus on the enemy here. And that is true. The enemy does deceive. But before you ever get to the verse 4, you have verse 3. And verse 3 points to another culprit as to why people aren't saved. Verse 3 says, if our gospel is veiled, hidden, covered, unseen, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. You know one reason that people aren't saved? Their own sinfulness. That's one reason people aren't saved. Our own sinfulness prevents us from seeing the glory of the gospel. In, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, it tells us that no one is righteous, not even one of us. In fact, verse 11 then goes on and says that no one understands these things. No one understands Nobody is seeking after God. In our own sinfulness, we do not see the glory of the gospel because there's nothing glorious about it. When we come into this building and we think on Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, there are many of us, Paige, who do have some emotion about them, who will sing those songs and they will be brought to tears I'll stand and I'll share about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and people will be emotionally stirred by that because we love Jesus and we know what he's done for us. But there are people that we work with and people that we live beside and people that are in our very families who have not experienced the change that comes through what Christ did on the cross. And so do you know what they see in that? Nothing. Don't see anything in it. It's a Jewish carpenter who may or may not have been a real person who Rome executed. What is that? Why would you get teary-eyed over that? Because they don't see the glory of the gospel. We talked about in Sunday school this morning, Stephen, right? It's the person that you share with them. You share the gospel with them. And they may hear everything that you're saying, But even if they hear everything that you are saying, it's like they're they're weighing. Should I give up the life that I have now to follow this one who is called, who I'm called to follow according to Scripture, and and they just don't see it? For them, the juice is not worth the squeeze, and they don't see the, the glory of Christ in that. And so, they choose darkness rather than light because they don't see the glory. And it's because of their own sinfulness. It's veiled to them. It's hidden to them. And so before we read verse 4, because if we only focus on verse 4, what we do is is we give the devil a lot of credit for something, right? But the truth is, is that the sinfulness of our own hearts in our sin, we are blinded to the glory of the gospel. It must be revealed to us, the glory of the gospel. On our own, we don't see it and we're not looking for it, we do not recognize it. But look at verse 4. Verse 4 says there's a second reason why people do not see the glory of the gospel, why they don't come to Christ, so to speak. In, In their case, in those that are veiled, in those that are perishing, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the glorious gospel. Now, see, we would say, oh, it's all the devil's fault. let me ask you something. If there's a person who in their sin is apart from Christ and in their sin is hopeless and helpless and is not looking for him, does it take a whole lot of deception for that person to be deceived? No. But this passage says that what the devil does is the devil is all about blinding the minds of unbelievers so that the glory of the gospel is not seen. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 18, you find this verse. For the cre- preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Do you see the two different worldviews in that verse? You have one person that is lost in their sin, apart from God, under under the delusion of the devil. I got hung up there for a minute. It's a glitch in the matrix there. And when that happens, they do not see the glory of the gospel. It's foolishness. But to those that are being saved, to those that God has opened their eyes, there is glory in what Christ did on the cross. There's a great verse in John chapter 12. It is, it's a, it's a good verse for this reason. If we were to think about, like, you know that church that really wants to be exciting? That it's all emotional highs and it's all a party and it's all, it's all fun and you know what I mean, all the time, right, at 11, all the time. If that's the case, if that's what we think glory is sometimes. If I were to say, what is the glory of God to you? Where do you see the glory of God? A lot of people would say, well, in like the miracle. God, the miracles of Scripture. Don't you see the glory of God in the miracles? Don't you see the glory of God? And I mean, you name these big magnificent things. But in John chapter twelve and twenty-three, this is at the kind of the beginning of that Passion Week. We know what's coming. It's at the end of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus answered them and said, "The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified." Now, here's what we would think, knowing where this is in Scripture. You mean crucified, right, Jesus? The hour's come for the Son of Man to be crucified. That's why we're here in Jerusalem. That's why we're fixing to do all that because it's time for the Son of Man to be crucified, right? Yes, but do you know why that's so important? Because it is on the cross of Calvary that he is glorified. It's through that obedience to the Father. It's through him coming and him dying for us, him demonstrating his love for us while we were still sinners. That is the glory of the ministry of Jesus Christ is that he paid the price for your sin and for mine, which is why those of us who are saved, those of us who are being saved right now by him attribute it to his death on the cross. It's not a weakness. It's not something that they did to him. He laid down his life freely and then he took it up again for me and you. So this is a thing where is, is he, was he crucified on the cross? Did his death come on the cross? Yes. And that was what, that's why he should be glorified and lifted up is because you and I experience salvation because of what he has done for us on the cross. And it is only through him that salvation comes. And so if you think about what Paul's going through here and Paul begins to share, there are those who choose darkness rather than light and remain in their sin and never understand the glory of the gospel. And the enemy blinds the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of the gospel. And so it's not me and you who save, right? Even the most eloquent soul winner who has all the right words, who has all the right illustrations and examples to make it make sense in the mind of a person, all of those things are for nothing, right? It is only God that can overcome those hindrances to the gospel. It's not me and you, it's not our efforts that will poke a hole in the delusion of the enemy. It is only the power of God that will do that, which is really important for this this morning's Sunday School lesson, if you were in Sunday School this morning, we talked about the fact that that we share, but the results are on God. The results are, are, are on God. It's not on us. We're just to be faithful in the sharing. And if you, if you think about what's being said here, this is amazing and this is wonderful because when you get down to verse 6 and 7, it's showing us that God's gospel is greater than any of that, right? So, Paul's talked a little bit about having a pure ministry and he's talked a little bit about our persuasive enemy. But let's finish on this note by looking at verses 6 and 7 and let's talk about the powerful gospel. Yes, we are called to share the gospel and exalt it in a pure ministry so that people are saved. But many are blinded to it by the persuasive enemy who veils their minds. But in spite of all of that, In spite of the rebellion of men and the schemes of the devil and the deadness of our own hearts, the gospel is powerful and God does save. Look at verse 6. The whole point of this passage is to show us that the gospel is powerful, the messenger is not. Because you remember what Paul's saying? They're criticizing Paul. It's like Paul's saying it doesn't matter how you criticize me, you're right, I'm weak. You're right, I'm weak. A man you're right um but that's not the point the gospel's the point right and so when you read in verse 6 look at what he says God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that, that in verse 4 was this idea that those that are the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They're in darkness. In, 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 but in verse 6, God shines light into that darkness, and we are saved. When I read that verse and I think about that idea of light shining out of darkness, there were a few verses that came to mind, and the, the language is somewhat similar. Look at these verses. Remember back in Genesis 1 and verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. A world that had been dark with no light. And God, with a creative voice, pierced the darkness and light shone where there had never been light before. Genesis 1 is a lot like John Let me back up. John 1 is a lot like Genesis 1. There's a lot of similarities between the two when you look at them. So in John chapter one, look at these verses. In the beginning was the word, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Then jump down a few verses. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Great song choice, Karen. Look at verse 9. True light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. In the same way that God in his creative power spoke light into a place where there had never been light before, there came a time where God pierced this dark heart. It was a place where light had not shone before. I had not seen the glory of the gospel, but he pierced my heart. His light shone into my heart and made all the difference. See, you've heard me tell this story, that when I was saved, I was a little boy, I was in my bed, and I was getting ready to go to sleep. And I knew that if I died, I would not go to heaven. I knew all this because people had been sharing the gospel with me for a very long time, I had been to church and I had heard the gospel. I had a Sunday school teacher, good Sunday school teachers who shared the gospel with me. I had parents who loved me and shared the gospel with me. I had a grandmother who shared the gospel with me. But all of that was just information because Shelly Sweat and Jane Golden have never saved anybody and Neil and Kathy Brown have never saved anybody and Agnes Brown never saved anybody. But when God shone his light into my heart, that was different. See, that night as I lay in my bed, all of the things that they had shared with me, which were true, God was using those things to pierce the darkness of my soul. And I knew... When I got out of my bed and I went to the end of the hall where my parents were watching TV, I I did not have to say to them, I feel funny or I need to drink water or I might need to go to the bathroom or I don't know what's going on with me or I can't go to sleep. I didn't have to say any of that. You know what I said to them? I need to be saved because my eyes were opened. There was no longer a veil. It was no longer hidden to me. The God of glory had shown his light into my heart. And I knew my need for him. I knew my need for him. There might be even others that would argue, depending on where you fall theologically, there might be others that would argue that when I came to the end of the hall and I told my parents that I needed to be saved, that I was. There's something that would even argue that. This idea that, that when we think about him shining that light into us, Verse six should be the testimony of every believer in the room. If you are in the room today and you say you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you should have a story that sounds like 2 Corinthians 4 and verse six. You should be able to go to a place where the light, where God shined the light of his glorious gospel into your life and you're drawn by the Spirit to him. Because it was such stark darkness, it should be apparent when it is bathed in light. should be known. And if he has shown into our hearts, it will be evident. Which is why you get to verse 7. You see, in verse 6, verse 6 is all about the glory of the gospel. It's all about this powerful gospel that can pierce the darkness and the, the schemes of the enemy and veiled hearts and those sort of things. But then Paul takes it down in verse seven and he says, but we have this treasure in clay pots, in jars of clay. He's taking this big, great, glorious gospel and he's put it in my heart. Remember the genie? Great and powerful genie, itty bitty living space. Remember Great and powerful, glorious gospel contained right here in this heart by the Holy Spirit indwelling and filling me in you. Paul's taking this big idea, this big glory, and saying that that glory has been given and is dwelling within you, in your heart. Now, in that instance, he says we have this treasure... In clay pots, that means that you're not the treasure. That means that your desire, your wants, your worth, it's not really relevant in this equation. Where's the treasure? Clay pots were cheap, breakable, replaceable. They were made of dirt, they were brittle, they were fragile. Who's that sound like? And no matter how many years I have stood and will stand behind this pulpit and preach, I will die and I will go away, but the gospel will remain. This is the thing that stands. And if I get the focus off of that and I start putting the focus on something else, it loses it, right? I've lost the focus of where the treasure is. J. Hudson Taylor, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on him being with them. They're not great men, right? God has done great things through them. They're just men, Right the weakness of this vessel is what's being exemplified. The truth is is that not one of us is worthy of containing God's glory. We're all clay pots. I've even heard people preach this we're all cracked pots, right? We're all cracked pots that have the glory of God shining through us. Clay pots. The focus, the the idea here is very clear that God works through weak and powerless men so that it is very, very clear that it is not the person who's doing something. It is the gospel, that where, where all the power lies is the gospel. This idea is true, and it should be a reminder for me and you. When we get our eyes off of what the minute, what the goal is in ministry, when we get our eyes off the mission and we forget that it's about the glory of the gospel, we need to remember where we stand that we're clay pots. The gospel is where it is. And yes, people will be blinded to that, but the gospel is powerful, and God can shine through all of that into their heart. And you know who He'll use to do that? Weak men, clay pots. The value is not in me and you. The value's in him. Let me show you what I mean. Sometimes on Saturday morning, just on Saturday morning, not any other time, not any other time of the week, but sometimes, only the on Saturday morning, I really, really want a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. And my boys will eat cereal dry but I want it covered up. I might even take it soggy. in that milk, I know it's good though. And then you bite it and it squeezes, sharing it, all that milk squeezes out into your mouth. It's good. I don't know, like, that's debatable. That, if, if I go to the refrigerator, this milk jug don't help me. Got a few on that. that, that you, hey, family members of those who just saved me in, that one was for free. That wasn't even on me. <laughs> this milk jug don't help me in that instance. If I'm making something in the kitchen, there's not one person in here. If you do, I don't want to eat it. If there's not one person in here that's got a recipe that calls for half a cup of milk jug, you don't shave it off and put it in whatever you're making. There's no recipe for that, right? If I'm thirsty, if I've had a big old piece of chocolate cake or a Reese's cup, that's outstanding, and I need something to wash that down, you know what's really good? But this milk jug don't help me at all. This right here, nobody would, after the service, I don't think there's a person in here that would pay me $5 for this but we'll go to the store and when it's full we will because the value is not in this milk jug it's replaceable and when it's done we throw it in the garbage where's the value lie and when we get too big for our britches and we think that worship's about us and we come in wanting to be satisfied and filled and we come in and our focus is in all the wrong places it's really good to remember that we're just milk jugs we're just clay cracked pots and the worth the treasure is in the glorious gospel that changes the lives of men women boys and girls thank you for listening to this podcast Rooted and Resolved is a ministry of Center Grove Baptist Church. You can find us at centergrovebaptist.com.